for me, what really connected with me is the idea. Like I thought, okay, my story is, you know, around 30, I lost both my parents. And I, also I thought my metabolism was slowing down. It's like, oh, I can't eat whatever I want anymore. I'm, I'm 30. It's, it's actually flipped. It's that you're less adapted to the modern diet, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, as you age, you are less adapted to eat processed foods. Hey everyone. Thanks for tuning into Power Athlete Radio. There are stories we tell ourselves about the food we eat. We make justifications, assumptions, and excuses for all of our dietary choices. But how do we stop this cycle of mindless consumption? Consumption of not only information, but of suboptimal foods. It starts with getting schooled up by Brian Sanders, producer of Food Lies. Feed your bod, feed your brain. Here it is, episode 632. Power Athlete Nation, we are hiring. We're looking for competent individuals that can work within a team, people that have a unique skill set that involves problem solving, hard work, and working within a large tech stack that allows us to execute everything we do on a daily basis. We're not looking for coaches. If you're a coach and you're into sets and reps and want to get people faster and stronger, we got a whole other avenue for you. I want you to go to academy.powerathletehq. I want you to dial into the methodology and I want you to get within the block one network and absolutely crush it. But what we're looking for is someone that can come and work within the team of Power Athlete that can work behind the scenes that could help us run this Leviathan of a company on a daily basis. Like I said, it's going to involve problem solving project management, working within a team, working with different personalities. You have to work with me and people that have a pension for wanting to get strong and jacked. So what I want you to do is I want you to go to powerathletehq.com. I want you to scroll to the bottom. You're going to find a link that says careers. I want you to take a look at a few of the different opportunities that we've presented to you guys. I want you to look at the requirements and then I want you to hit and send me an email to careers at powerathletehq.com with a resume and a cover letter and why you think that you would be an awesome addition to Power Athlete. So once again, powerathletehq.com, scroll to the bottom to the footer. I want you to find the link for careers. I want you to take a link, shoot me that email, and I want to see who you are. Now, here's the cool part. You might know somebody that fits this description and they might be working for somebody else. If you're able to put us on to somebody or bring somebody on, I'll pay you a finder's fee. We'll figure it out at the amount TBD. We'll negotiate it, but I'm willing to pay a finder's fee if you provide us amazing people. If you're looking for a job or you know somebody that's looking for a job and you can point us in the right direction, we will reward you. Once again, we are hiring. We're looking for people. Reach out. I'm excited to hear what you got. Now, after those words from our sponsor, back to the show. Power Athlete Nation, welcome to another episode of the Premier Podcast in Strength Conditioning and really lifestyle, fitness, training, fatherhood, and dope trucks and other cool things associated with just being cool. And battling the bullshit, which we are bringing back. Guest, Brian Sanders, host of Peak Human Podcast, the Food Lies docu-series, and most importantly, Power Athlete Radio guest, episode 537. And the oddest part about that episode is we had Brian on via Zoom, and yeah. then we realized that we're neighbors. Why the fuck are we doing this on Zoom? We didn't know. I, we didn't yeah. know. It's like, hey, where are you at? You're in Austin. We're in Austin. How, why are we doing this on Zoom? Let's not Did be weird. Did we just become best friends? And let's come in and do it in person, which I think is always a much better experience. Thanks for coming in, Brian. I love it. Yeah, I'm glad to be at this compound. 
<laughs> uh, as you have since built your sapien compound, I saw you cruising around, kind of getting some ideas. Is there any anything that you want to take back or any any questions that you might have about Power Ethic Ranch? Oh, man. No, I love it. I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to do it in Austin. I'm trying to get people there in person. We've done a lot of stuff online, right? You know, everything's online these days. And I'm just trying to get some meat to people and get some ancestral health and events and just get people in person hanging out again, you know? Mm-hmm. Not that many people ever stop that I know. <laughs> no. Uh, boy, that's a, that's a slippery slope. <laughs> well, very punny opportunity. You can have meetups. M-E-A-T. Oh, oh we do have meetups. Yeah. yeah. No, he, he's been sending me the flyers. I haven't yeah. got to one yet. Uh, I know you're having one July 7th. I'm actually going to be in Costa Rica. Oh, no. But I think Texas is going to go, too. So, I mean, to, to your event. Oh, me. man. You've got to come. Yeah. I'm in. Count right. me in. So, what, uh, what's on the menu? We, we're doing a local soy-free, corn-free, pasture-raised pig tacos. Mm-hmm. And we have a big, giant beef leg. I just got a text. My buddy's got a big giant. He bought a beef leg like for a YouTube video, and he's like, "What do I do with this?" So we're gonna roast it. Nice. Yeah. What's the? Uh, how the uh, who's gonna come in and cook, or do you have anything set up to do it? Yeah, we have Chef Charlie. So my company's called Nose the Tail, and we do you know all the best regenerative meats. And we want to do a food truck, and we want to do farm to table events. So we found Chef Charlie, who's worked at some of the nicest restaurants in Austin. Nice. Amazing stuff. He does really good, like nose to tail stuff. He makes like the pâtés and the rillettes and the, you know, smoked heart and he pickles things. And so we're going to get him a food truck as soon as possible. But until then, he's just doing our, you know, catering and food. Badass. No, yeah. That sounds exciting. Well, I, I do want to lead off with the, the Food Lies docu-series. So when we last had you on, we spoke of the Food Lies documentary. And now this has expanded. So was it uncovering more material or things you just couldn't leave on the cutting room floor? Yeah, the story's so big and it, it's getting bigger and we couldn't tell it. It was getting to be two hours in the film and I don't think people can sit through two hours. But then if you just cut it into a series, they will sit through it, right? You sure. put it on Netflix and they'll just binge it. So now it's about three hours. So it's just funny how that works. That's, that's so strange <laughs> that people are like, oh, I couldn't see a two and a half hour movie, but yet I could watch four or five episodes of one hour and binge watch something. It's so weird. And we have to play into that, right? And uh, so it's good though. We're we're making it into six, you know, 30 minute episodes. They are kind of bingeable. They are uh, topical and it splits it up. We start with evolution and we've interviewed some of the top scientists in the world that do the actual paleoanthropology and, you know, they're digging up the fossils and we got Dr. Brianna Pobner and, Dr. Bill Schindler, we have the protege of Jane Goodall, mm-hmm. this guy from uh, Craig Stanford from USC. All these people talk. These are the people that are actually looking at like the mammoth bones and they're like looking at cut marks and being like humans were here, you know, the ancient humans like a million years ago or like 300,000 years ago the you know, first homo sapiens were here, you know, gnawing on these giant woolly mammoth bones. Well, the, uh, um, the narratives kind of changed in recent time. I mean, there was this idea that I, I think it was, what, 30,000 years ago is when they claimed the first people were in North America, but they're actually finding information that's putting it at like 150 and even longer. That was, yeah, and it was in San Diego, and it was woolly mammoth bones, I think, or mastodon or woolly mammoth, yeah. Yeah, the, um, there was a, I was just down in Houston. We went down and take the kids down to the Houston Museum of Natural Science. I don't know if you've ever been down there. Mm-hmm. But they have an incredible um, display of all of these different bones. I mean, it's obviously, I don't think they're the real bones. I think they're 
fiberglass because Cuts. I mean they would have to be too valuable. There's no way they could actually put them out. But they have like uh, you know uh, everything from T Rex to just this massive uh, collection of like all these different you know uh, I guess dinosaurs and all mm-hmm. the bones. But the coolest one is like uh, was it the North, the North American short faced bear? Mm. So there was like in uh, Rob Wolf actually was the one that talked to me about this that there's some like bit of research that talked about once uh, they basically didn't see humans in North America because of the short faced bear was so vicious in terms of killing things mm. and then all of a sudden when it started dying out man started coming but uh, I don't know I mean that was can one you describe theory. this uh, the short faced bear uh, <laughs> it's pretty cool like I, I have a picture we can post a picture of it but it's it's this massive bear that was I'm uh, just trying to get a visual like a legit flat faced bear no like nose. it doesn't have a big nose like a like a pit bull. Yeah. Like, like a short face in that way. But it's, it was also like 16 feet tall, but I guess it ran as fast as the leopard. Oh, Jesus. So I, I guess the bones were, were lighter than normal bears. So it was extremely fast. And like the way the foot was set up. And well, how did it die? For some reason, it just started dying out. And well, then they, they started. I mean, I, I bet you it was hunted to extinction. I mean. Well, there, yeah. So the, a lot of the megafauna died out. And we talk about this in the film and we show there's a giant sloth there's there's um, the they have the bones of the giant sloth it's fucking huge it's so big it's yeah. bigger than a mammoth i was like yeah. we have because we have a representation of it in the film and they you've they never yeah. you've never like you got to go down to the houston museum of natural well, science i mean i haven't been in 30 years okay like, uh, dude we go at least once or twice a year to go see this like a display of all of these bones and you get to, i mean they have pterodactyls they have um uh <laughs> They have all of the different, like, kind of, like, skulls of, like, I, I what do. they think is, like, you know. Uh, so, I'm kind of lost on this human evolution thing because um, I have a hard time grasping that we are, like, a common ancestor for monkeys. Like, and the the one that really struck me was actually was actually some John Sapolsky. The fact that humans are the only ones with subcutaneous fat, whereas monkeys don't have subcutaneous fat. And they're much leaner than we are. So, like, the only. And stronger. Uh, well, there are they, they are stronger, but the only uh, mammals that have subcutaneous fat are ocean mammals. Mm. Mm. There's no land. We're the only land-based mammal that has subcutaneous fat, and there's no monkey common ancestor that has subcutaneous fat. So Very it's kind of like, even though there are monkeys that have opposable thumbs, but yeah. So well, long story short, that's in, I did two podcasts with some good PhDs that talk about the aquatic ape theory. Mm-hmm. And then, Ooh. yeah, there's like, there's a whole website about it. You can Google aquatic ape and they talk about all the different reasons why they think that we came from the water. We have all these. Dude, uh, yeah. uh, educate me a little bit because I've had this theory for a while that like, why is it that we are the only, like, so as you're going through all the apes and you're trying to find like similar characteristics it feels really interesting that like, you know, like a female ape, I think was like 4% body fat and some of the male, uh, male apes are zero to 1% body fat for us. The average man is what, like eight to 14 and women are like 20 to 25 average. Well, well depending on <laughs> not in Houston, uh, but uh, like it just seems really interesting that, and you know, and why evolutionary we would have gone that way. I mean, the ability to have fat stores so we could extend and, I mean, you there's. Probably, oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not an expert on it, but there's parts of our ear that are like other aquatic creatures. There's we have different similarities to dolphins and how they give birth, and uh, there, yeah, there's the subcutaneous fat. There's, man, if we could, can you pull up a website, sure. Charles. Uh, yeah. The the other one, which is wild, is that um, uh, babies uh, that are aqua born apes, what aquatic are they apes. So so when a baby is born in water, the baby as soon as it comes out of the mother's womb can swim. Yes. 
That's Apocalypto. Right. So like, and, and then we actually, if you like when the babies are born, cause they had video of like, you know, childbirth happening and the baby actually swimming in water. So, so babies are born with the knowledge on how to swim. Whereas, uh, apes, no, they fucking don't know how to swim. Did they test that out? Yeah. Put them in water and yeah. birth them. Yeah. Go to the aquatic <laughs> The aquatic ape theory. One more down. We can mix that with the stone ape. Yeah. Uh, that was the other one I was listening to today. Yeah, okay, theaquaticape.files.wordpress.com. Yeah. yeah. Don't use Google to search this. Charles had a dig for it. Yeah, we'll get into this. They're trying to bury this theory. <laughs> but it's, uh, it, it's pretty fascinating because we share all of these like unique characteristics. Um, but, you know, it, it also goes back to, um, do you remember, uh, so th- this is super cool. When I was at Berkeley, um, Andy and Artie were found and they published it in the Daily Cal. And it wasn't until like 20 plus years later that they actually did a documentary. Mm-hmm. And the, the interesting thing is they always thought that there was like this division. Something happened and drove half of the, you know, whatever common ancestor out into the plains. And then the other ones stayed in the forest. And the ones that went out on the plains, they, they think, stood upright to see danger. And that's how we got bipedal. And then they went to the sea. It was the consuming of like, uh, you know, DHA and mm-hmm. other things that causes the brain to grow and the, and the, the stomach to shrink. And so then they... Like that, like that was a theory. But then, what, what was wild was when they found Andy and Artie. There was uh, fossilized bat fruit bat droppings <laughs> mixed in. So then they found they were effectively found them in a like rainforest, let's say. Uh, so the, this was like kind of like kind of threw that to the side. It's like, well, they were bipedals. Why were they? You know, like in, in the forest, like they weren't looking for danger. And the one they theorized is they had to stand up to pick things or to like be able to carry young. What they were found in California? No, this is in Africa. Okay. So. And to throw a spear. Yeah, and to throw a spear. And so there, there's like all of this really cool stuff. But the, the problem that I get into is when they start showing us, and this was at the Houston Museum, they show like the evolutionary chart with like the different kind of what they've said was the common ancestors and they go through it. I, I just have a hard leap from like this to this mm. and you know people are like well what about the opposable thumbs i'm like what about the body fat thing that's kind of weird and that's the aquatic ape <laughs> well infographic the words that jumped out to me longer penis <laughs> deeper vagina i don't so, know what that's to do with the water but yeah i don't know either but those that's the first thing i read diving in fortune yeah there's definitely something with the ear that it's like very, very interesting that no other. Uh, we can pressurize our ears. So when we go yeah. down, we can, you know, like obviously, you know, when you yeah. go and your ears get this, we can pressurize. I don't think the others can do that. I don't think they have the ability to pressurize their ears. There's something about even a bone in there. But still, there. it's not like we, you know, just didn't come from apes. I don't know. This is not what they're saying exactly. Maybe that just we were like waterside creatures that just the, that always were around water and then we're always in and out of the water. And yeah, like you're saying, the DHA. So Dr. Lee, Lee Broadhurst is one of them. And I forget the other doctor's name, Michael Crawford. People can look those up. They just have ideas of how, you know, it just makes sense. And with the nutrition and the people who are farther inland that didn't have as much access to seafood, didn't do as well. And uh, they did some studies even more recently and they, they had like lower IQs or they, they actually had problems because they had no like iodine or other um aquatic nutrients was it Tara Swart that said um we didn't evolve to to eat meat we evolved because we ate meat i believe so yeah so we we had uh 
uh, real sharp. I, sharp. Yeah, I think it was Tara. Yeah. I also believe her when she said that. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, I, I mean, there's many things that she said that I believe, but I just thought it was an interesting comment that she made was like, we didn't evolve to eat meat. We evolved because, because we ate meat. And it was fat and to go through the whole deal. But um, and for the record, she's a neuroscientist. So it's a deep understanding well, of the brain. And not the- only a neuroscientist, but went back and uh, was an MD and then went back and got her PhD in um, neuroscience. And then also, I mean, so yeah, extremely smart. We, I think we bring up that line in the film. So it, we're, we, yeah, we don't talk about the quarter key theory in the film. Oh, damn we do talk a lot about meat. We talk about bone marrow. We talk about eating brains even. And yeah, that's very true. We didn't evolve to eat meat. We evolved because we meat. And that's why it's so wild that the vegans can even start to make an argument. Yeah. Before we get into that, uh, like what from evolution, where do you jump into episode two? So you start, you said you, before yeah, the yeah. show, you had four things that we're aiming to attack. Know your enemy. Know their enemy. Oh, that's actually like part five. Oh, okay. So yeah, I don't want to skip ahead too much. So the, the evolution stuff is big though. I mean, we... The, the big part of evolution was when 3.5 million years ago when we would just use a rock and crack open bones to get the bone marrow and to get the They actually brain. have uh, proof of this. So they've found uh, like, um, you know, they were obviously like we lived in these small communities and whatnot. And they've actually found sh- like bones that were like not uh, like were intentionally broken in such mm-hmm. a way with with tools. And like, you know, and then they found like actual like rock scrapings on the inside of the bones to pull the marrow out. So it was very apparent that like whoever, you know, whoever these individuals were, whether or not they were common ancestor or aliens or whoever, but somebody was cracking open bones and sucking out what was on the inside. Were they finding these tribes, same tools in both Africa and then North America? Well, this is 3.5 million years ago. So this was just in Africa. And this is yeah, what Dr. Brianna Pobner does in their concussion marks. And also Dr. Jessica Thompson will be in the film. Now. It's concussion marks and they can see it. And then they find the stones next to it. And uh, this is our first good access to, to animal nutrition. Because if the bones were picked clean, there's nothing, there's no meat left. But we were the only animals that could get inside the bones. And right. that's where this fat and all this good stuff for our brain and uh yeah so we so to to go with your question yeah so we go into all of the evolution stuff and we could spend a whole episode on it we're talking about the stomach acidity and how you know the humans have it's like a hyena or a vulture it's like we have this highly acidic stomach and that also goes with the expensive tissue hypothesis which you kind of mentioned is why our brains got big and our guts got small Mm -hmm. and also it's expensive to have a highly acidic stomach it doesn't happen by accident you know what i mean it's like this is a huge adaptation that helped us eat meat and just well rotting meat. And so we go through all of these lines of evidence that just clearly show that we're meant to eat animal foods. And we kind of attack the, the plant-based paradigm too, because people think that we're going to, we live in this modern time with whole foods, right? We have this modern perception that you just show up and you go to the whole foods and there's like a thousand different plants and it's a full rainbow and it's magical. And it's like, from a, you know, it's, it's really the Garden of Eden. It's, but it's not. And then we have to go back to like, what was it really like back then? Yeah. No, what it was, it was really like was a bunch of leaves that we couldn't eat <laughs> and a bunch of trees and then animals. Right. And then maybe we could find some of these stringy things. Like there was the wild mustard plant, which all of our modern brassicas come from, right? All the kale and Brussels sprouts and bok choy and all these things just came from this stringy little plant that gave us like four calories 
And it's everyone knows that we didn't go around, you know, surviving on a little wild mustard plant. So we have to kind of let the audience know that it's like we we got to shake up everything that they've learned from just the mainstream about oh, plant based is the the best. You know, this is where we should be getting our nutrients, and we have to just like flip that. So that's the first. Uh, it's so amazing to me that we're still having this conversation. And what's and what's even more interesting is uh, I feel like this narrative is losing ground because there's so much money and there's so much effort uh, being put behind it. It does. I mean, it seems insane to me. And when I hear people actually be like, try to tell me these arguments, I'm like, wow, but you still believe this stuff? <laughs> like, you know, 2002 called and they want their fucking science back. <laughs> oh, I, so I'm doing a presentation on it at a conference in two weeks called exposing the trillion dollar agenda against red meat. Mm. And it is a huge, it's so detailed. You have to go, and you know, piece together all these big companies, big food industries, big pharma, even world powers. It's like the WHO, the World Economic Forum, the UN. There's so many players involved in this message, and it's it's an insane message when you think about it. And you, but it, it's so hard to undo that message because they have well, trillions at stake, and they've been indoctrinating the public for decades. Do you know why? I mean, the ultimate, the ultimate why? Yeah. I want to know your reason. Well, <laughs> I'll just give you a little hint. So years ago, um, I had a friend that went to uh, Tony Robbins, you know, like one of his events. And the thing that was interesting that he made the observation from was that uh, it was all plant-based. Like there was no meat at this. And or caffeine or yeah. stimulants. So yeah. no stimulants. It was all vegetables. And the interesting thing is when you are a meat eater and then you go eat a ton of vegetables, it actually makes you more docile and also more open to suggestion. So they found through their research that they could convert people faster and make people have these life changes and really help people faster if they went to a, like a vegetarian vegan approach with just vegetables. They found that when they served the meat and uh, more animal based products, people weren't like people were a little more like Spock eyebrow. Like this sounds mm-hmm. like bullshit. I'm not as apt to fucking buy into what you're selling. Yeah. So they really were able. I mean, that's why when uh, I was at Berkeley and I took that class on cults, most of the cults were all vegan and did not allow them, uh, their members to have animal products because they were more open to suggestion and they were more docile when they fed them a vegan diet. So I think what it's really about is control. I believe you. And I, I didn't want to say it, but I think that all that is very true. I, I do a lot of posts that kind of allude to this online, and a lot of people will, will come out and say it. They're like, they, they want a population that's easy to control. You don't want a robust, strong, sure. high testosterone population. You don't want, like, guys in his room. Like, that's not going to go with agenda. No, it's, um, I mean, it, like, I think the individuals that we're talking about, it, when they're looking at try, trying to manage 7 billion people on the planet, uh, it's a lot easier if everybody just does what they're told. That's the ultimate thing. Yeah. And they just implement policies and it, it's about money. Well, it's money control, right? They go hand in hand. And I think there is, it's getting really obvious now. There's this push for, you know, some sort of world government or some sort of these, these big things going on that they're pretty open about, you know, like the world economic forum. Yeah. It's just like, this is what we're doing. Oh, and, and then, <laughs> and then the best is you people like, Oh, those are conspiracy theories. And you're like, no, 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 this is what they said. But like, I don't know if you saw the other day, but Biden uh, during his talk was like, we need funding for the next pandemic. Cause we're going to have another one. Mm-hmm. And like everybody kind of stopped and like, mm-hmm. you could see his handlers looking around, like mm-hmm. he, he wasn't supposed to tell this, but I mean, like it, it's, it's crazy. Uh, uh, 
Larry Johnson, my former teammate, um, has got a very interesting Instagram account. But we uh, will text back and forth, and he's like, dude, they're they're te- they're basically telling us they're telegraphing this stuff now. They don't mm-hmm. even care to try to hide it, and they know that there'll be another pandemic, and this is how they can uh, effectively control. So, I mean, it's not necessarily a conspiracy theory when they're legitimately like you listen to the Klaus Schwab or was it mm-hmm. um, Klaus Schwab? Yeah, Klaus Schwab. Yeah. yeah. He's like, no, we would like a one world government. And that's what we're mm-hmm. pushing for. And then people are like, oh, it's conspiracy theory. I'm like, no, no, no. The, the guy said it. They made a video called You'll Own Nothing and Be Happy. Yeah. Uh, years ago. And they, they changed the title of it. But yeah, this video is everywhere. You've probably seen it. You'll own nothing and be happy. And then they do this little, it's, and they have an article around it. It's like, oh, it's 2030. And, you know, your car shows up. And then you don't, you know, you don't have to buy a house because it's just there. And then your, your food shows up. And it, and it sounds good. You're kind of watching and you're like, oh, this is cool. You know, it's like all on demand. Like, I don't have to pay for it. And then you're like, oh, wait, but who owns everything? They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. You're, you'll own nothing to be happy. You're just a serf. You're just a peasant. Well, you're a slave. Slave. Yeah. Yeah. To certain people. Yeah. And well, then the, they decide what, you know, they decide what you own, what you do, what you say, what you think. And if you say something that's contrary to them, what do they do? They turn it off. That's what I'm worried about. Meat and people have asked me, yeah, where is this all going or why are you fighting against this? It's like, you guys got to calm down. Like, no, because you can see where it's going. They have in the UK, they even have these uh, chips you can put in your hand and you can pay for the grocery store. Like, oh, and everything sounds good. It's like, oh yeah, you just show up and you don't have to bring your wallet and you just pay. They're like, okay, then what happens when they, they already have sugar tax, which I actually don't agree with because I don't want people you know, regulate. I don't want the government regulating what I eat because soon meat's going to be a junk food. They already are trying to say it's a junk mm, food. Sure. So now there's going to be the meat tax or then it's going to be, okay, you go to the grocery store, you have your little chip. You've already had your quota of meat because it has saturated fat. Well, You've had your quota uh, for the week. Well, here's a big problem personally that I have. My son's a type one diabetic. So he eats a, uh, you know, very low carb Bernstein diet, which is like a high protein, low fat, low carb diet. And we manage his carb. So, I mean, he pretty much eats a, you know, protein-based meat diet. So, I mean, if they start cutting back on meat and that, I'm like, you know, I'm not going to put him on a westernized diet and have – it's just – it's a huge problem. So, I mean, just from, like, our standpoint, I'm like, at that point, we're just going to start killing everything in our backyard. Yeah. And it includes the people that come for us. But, hey, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but, I mean, it, it's, uh, it, it's a real problem. But um, I, I think a big thing, too, which they've done a great job of is they uh, – you know, the powers that be have effectively desensitized us and disconnected us from where the meat is coming from. And more importantly, where our food comes from. Mm-hmm. You know, we think, like we said, we go to the Garden of Eden, a.k.a. Whole Foods, and uh, we give them their little chip and they give us food and then we go on our day not realizing where this stuff comes from. And I think your big push in terms of nose to tail is trying to reconnect people with like, this is our food source and this is where it comes from. And you have to be an educated consumer. Yeah, and I'm going hunting this weekend nice. to, to be a part of that. Yeah, where are you going? I'm going three hours west. So okay. yeah, maybe two and a half hours west. Now that I'm a little more west. Are you uh you going out to a ranch or where where you headed? Yeah, yeah. Probably there's axis deer. There, there's nice. uh, hogs and there's some kind of antelope. Nice. Yeah. So I got to choose which one I'm going for. But... Uh, go for the axis. Yeah. Uh, some of the best steaks I've ever had are axis. I'm trying to line up a hunt. My buddy's got a property down in Campwood. And uh, he's got access, and we've been trying to go down there to try to get some. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I've had access steaks, and they're awesome. And they're great in, in Maui. And you know, I'm from Hawaii, and they have a lot of access deer. And yeah, that's that's a good place to go out and get some. Yeah, they're actually well. I mean, they're from Africa, and they're big. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I mean, to the point where I mean, dude, they they look like cows. So I mean, well, they're huge. I heard in New Zealand 
they introduced them and then they overran because they have no natural predators. So now the axis deer in New Zealand's at the point where they're just killing and leaving them. Wow. Mm. Well, that's in Hawaii. They're, they're an invasive species and they're yeah. not killing and leaving them. But yeah, there's a great company that's figured out how to do it at night. And they do, um, I think they have like the night vision and they have this whole system where they can harvest and then get it out to a facility and, and sell it. Mm, nice. That's yeah. Cool. Uh, they're invasive species here in Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, so are audads, which are like these big sheep. But uh, I saw, um, uh, not on my cam, but uh, my buddy who lives up on 12, a little bit farther from here, he, he's had actually uh, axis on his cams. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they're coming more this way. I, I can't imagine the day I look out and see an axis. If I can shoot. Put your gun already. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, you know, they're, they're like pigs. Um, mm-hmm. I hate the pigs, though. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I've shot one and cleaned it, and I'll never clean another pig. Mm-hmm. I hate them. I just leave them out. They're just fucking trash. Well, you don't just leave them out. You make it a family affair, get the kids out there, <laughs> and they watch you rip yeah. it to shreds. <laughs> no, well, they're they're so destructive. I'm so pissed at them. So what they'll do is they come and they dig up our pastures, and mm-hmm. i got to go fix all the pastures because uh, the horses end up hurting themselves in mm-hmm. holes. So I'm kind of I'm, I'm pretty fucking mad at those pigs. Well... You know, it's good to, the original point was to know where your food comes from, right? And go get out there and hunt. And I think part of the agenda is is closing people off from that completely and making them forget where meat comes from. And I think that's the only reason this whole vegan agenda exists. I've looked into like the whys behind the vegan, right? And I think it can only happen if you are so disconnected from nature. And so the only places where there's heavy vegan populations are in the cities. And they're in the really westernized, like wealthy areas. I used to live in Venice Beach, California, and it was a nightmare. It was just, you know, Santa Monica. Like everyone there was just like, oh, I'm vegan. Like every girl I went out with, like, I'm vegan. I don't eat meat. I'm like, well, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go to Texas. (laughs) (laughs) Because like I went on dates for like two years and not one girl ate red meat. They're like, oh, I do a little bit of chicken sometimes. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, but then all of a sudden they get drunk and they're waiting in line to get fucking pig sauce. Oh, they're getting a burger, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like uh, when they sober and then all of a sudden they want to go to Fat Burger, in and out yeah. wait in line at Pink's for fucking two hours for hot dogs. <laughs> so, yeah, they're uh, they're vegan and then they have to fucking sober up, you know. But, yeah, that's where the vegans are. They're, they're like the wealthy people that live in cities that have no idea where the meat comes from, right? Like that's that's why it can exist. I, I use this in a presentation too. I, I don't know who, like, brought this up originally but for all of history humans would have been seen animal, multiple animals butchered before they could talk like if not hundreds of animals butchered in front of them before they could even talk it's just part of like oh here's our chicken you know this is our food for the night and now no one's seen it like if you look at the, the average person no one's seen an animal die for food or gutted or butchered Oh, I, I mean, my kids have. Yeah, yeah. I have. 0.01%. Yeah, yeah, people out here. I, I got a great picture when I pilled, I, I, I killed this pig that's uh, right over there. Um, I dragged the kids out of bed and I made them go take pictures with it because it was so big that I was like, man, I need something for uh, scale. For scale. Mm. And so I have these pictures and like my daughters are there and my son's way far back and he wants mm-hmm. no part of this thing. And then they proceeded me and watch it, uh, watch me hack off its head with a machete. They're not going to be vegan. No, not, not at all. <laughs> well, they, uh, uh, my, my kids are pretty, uh, pretty sharp and they realize that big muscles come from eating meat. Mm. And like, there's also like an idea of like, you know, strength and muscle is like a predominant factor of why we're different than the rest of the population. Mm-hmm. So my daughters are big into that. That's great. 
Yeah, I've never seen vegans. Well, there there's a few. They they try them out on the game changers, the guys that eat the the pea protein shakes every one hour, every hour. Yeah, but they're also consuming like eight hundred to a thousand grams of protein. So, which yeah. I mean, theoretically, uh, you can gain muscle as a vegan if you consume a ton of protein. The problem is, is that the the nutrient density of the protein is so low that the consumption amount is next to fucking impossible. Like you said, those guys are having like you know, 90 to a hundred grams of protein every hour, you know, yep. every waking, which just, just feels like fucking intestinal yeah. pain so, and fucking distress. I mean, not all proteins are created equal. Yeah. yeah. So this is some of the, the, the bullshit that we go to battle with, but Brian, you're, you're deep into it. Mm. So, I mean, that sounds like a hell of a lot of work. Yeah. Like wh- why do they choose to believe it? Is it, well, is so it, they can be on game changer show. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, honestly, I, I like it's the same reason that at bodybuilding shows, the dudes that show up and compete in the natural are taking drugs, too. They just aren't, you know, didn't get caught for it. So I uh, do. Do I think they're full of shit? Yes. Uh, do I think that these guys are consuming that amount of protein? Maybe some of them. I just don't think it's I just don't think it's viable. Well, it's scientifically. Yes. Not as good quality. The big story is plants. They're, they're meant as survival foods, right? It's like for all of history, meat was and animal foods were our goal. And this is how everyone knew we stayed healthy and every population. I mean, I just went to Africa last year to, to visit these people. And it's like all they're after is meat. Yeah, the Hadza, the Maasai, the Maasai are famous for eating only, the men at least, only eating blood, meat, and milk. And, and then what's wild is uh, when they retire them as hunters, so when they no longer can hunt, they kind of like push them off and they only live like two or three years because they take them off of their diet and oh. they then they go on to like whatever their like non-hunting diet is, which is like a mix of well, like, yeah, these days, these days, so what they have, it's called Ugali. So they have to survive on cornmeal and water. And if, if you're lucky, you get cornmeal with some milk in it. Yeah. And they, they put once on you that. stop hunting. Yeah. Once you're no longer considered a hunter, but also you were saying that some of the Maasai don't have cows. So I guess maybe some of the poorer Maasai there. Well, there's all different kinds of Maasai. There's not many people, many of them that live their traditional ways anymore. So we saw all of the levels. We went, we were in the city. It's in Arusha, I believe, it's in Tanzania. And you could see the modern, modern Maasai. They're just obese and diabetic. And they're just eating normal processed foods from the market. And they're just a mess. And then as you go further out into the country, you can see their health get better and better as they live more and more naturally. So the farther we get away from our ancestral diet, the worse our health is. You just did the whole film in one sentence. Yeah. yeah, that's the whole thing. But we have to tell it like a hundred different ways in six different episodes. To and we so we break it down, right? So yeah, we have to start with the evolution side. Then talking about the protein side, that that's where in episodes in the middle, like two or three, where we talk about the difference between animal protein, and plant protein, and that yes, it, I was I was starting to say plants are the survival foods. They don't have the full amino acids. They don't have the full bioavailability. Of the protein even if it did have say whatever protein it's claimed on it your body's not going to get all that protein so it's like it's a good system it makes sense where throughout history we couldn't always get an animal every single day right so it's like okay we uh, humans are very adaptable we we can survive on many things so we can we can like kind of piece together the plant proteins and survive right and so now just to jump ahead it's just the crazy part is people are using that basically hack that we could survive on plant foods for a while as a diet or like as a way to to get nutrition and that's why you see the people who do vegan for a long time they either get fat 
if they're eating just processed trash or if they're eating just whole foods plant-based, they get emaciated and sarcopenic. Well, isn't it also like the greatest form of like white privilege and just wealth privilege? The fact that I can survive on a diet that is completely juxtaposed to my entire evolution. Like I like in, in what's hilarious and I, I would get into this and I've battled the vegans many a times on social media, but it's by far the greatest form of like, uh, it's the greatest flex on the planet. Like you guys talk about white privilege, you talk about wealth and privilege and this and equality, mm-hmm. but it's the greatest form of it because you guys are basically surviving on a diet that is juxtaposed to everything you want in evolution. You're effectively showing your massive flex to do exactly what your body doesn't want you to and finding a way to use money to hack into it. Because it's, you know, it's it fucking blows my mind. And yeah, it's expensive to get all the supplements. And I still don't think you can supplement your way into a vegan diet or out of a vegan diet, whatever you want to phrase it. I think people try to, and you can get some B12 from different sources and you could try to get some analogs. Like there's precursors to EHA and DPA. Like these are the real ones you need. There's precursors in, you know, they're like, oh, walnuts or flax seeds. There's, you know, these omega-3s, like those are not real omega-3s. Those sure. are precursors and your body can't convert them all. So people and people try to use supplementation for those, for iron, for uh, vitamin B, all the B vitamins, the B12s, the other Bs, the zinc. There's so many things that you're not going to get. People try. I still don't think there's any proof that you can actually get the real deal from supplementing. And it would be super expensive. And it's just... Yeah, it's completely unnatural. <laughs> so, okay. So you, you battle through it with uh, the evolutionary piece. You get into the health piece. What's the next part? So we have some other, we, we show the case for healthy eating. We need to wake people up. We give them like the dire situation we're in. And we also have to make the, our thesis is that food is the number one factor in health. A lot of people think, oh, it's just genetic or, oh, I just need to jog more <laughs> and I'll be healthy. And or like, oh, it's just, you know, the environmental toxins, which are a huge piece that we talked about before the show. Environmental stuff is bad. But there's also people in Tonga and Fiji and Micronesia and all over the place that have pristine air, pristine water. They work outside and they're obese and diabetic. What changed? The food, right? They can be doing all the other things, right? They are exercising. I, I, there's documentaries on it. We're going to show some clips in the film. I've tried to visit some of these places. These people are doing everything right, exercise, sun, you know, clean water, clean it, just they're a mess. And food matters the most. I don't even know if that's controversial. I mean, it seems like you guys kind of know that instinctively that food matters most, but the rest of the public, they're just, they're just like, oh, well, my doctor said it's genetic or (laughs) Uh, I I, did. I think I came into this thing in a different way in that um, my singular goal since I was 14 years old was to put on muscle and size to basically play for football. Mm-hmm. So uh, I started lifting weights to be bigger and stronger. Um, you know, the old power lifter that trained me talked about, you know, you, you got to eat big and strong if you want to be big and strong. Um, you know, this is how people, you know, and uh, he was an old Greek dude. So everything was like, you know, meat based and mm-hmm. there was rice and it was just kind of like traditional uh, diet. He talked about, you know, Vince Garanda and the stone age diet and mm-hmm. you know, what he did. So my entire, I mean, when I'm 45 now, so for since I was 14 years old, so for over 30 years of my life, like this was the singular goal. And then all of a sudden, as I got bigger and stronger and I saw the way I ate, um, you know, I mean, it was like a one to one. Like when I ate more and I was I ate like this, I got bigger and stronger. And then, uh, you know, when I met Maro de Pasquale 
and you know Mar was kind of the father of carb cycling. I mean, he still followed a paleo diet, and this is what the carbs look like, and this is you know what the food quality. And there was a direct relationship between the amount at which I ate, the food quality, and then physically how I performed, and more importantly, my body composition. So like it was it, it was wild. Like the more food I ate, the bit the leaner I was, and the bigger and the stronger mm-hmm. I was. And so it was kind of a one to one where I saw it in terms of performance and size and body composition because that was what I was getting paid to do. Mm-hmm. So it, it just made a ton of sense to me. And so what's wild for me is I think a lot of, or most of the uh, the world uh, doesn't have to go make a living based upon their physical performance on that given day, mm-hmm. right? You sit behind a computer or this, or I mean, maybe if you're a laborer, but you know, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, what do you move one more rock than you did the day before? Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to be able to say, well, you didn't move a rock. You got to go. Mm-hmm. Whereas playing the NFL, it's directly related. So, I mean, it was a one-to-one and, uh, it just was very, very simple that when we ate this way, the body composition was different. I was leaner. I was stronger. I was better. I was healthier. My body didn't ache. And so it was, um, you know, it, it just made a ton of sense. And I think the reason that people are so disconnected is they don't have a physical job within nature or their survival doesn't depend upon it. It is. And they look like it. It, it doesn't look good. I, I traveled around recently and you go through an airport and it's, it's bad news out there. And if, yeah, if, you, if people don't have to do anything, their big, like, physical thing of the day is going to get their Uber Eats, then they they won't know. And they don't know how bad they feel, too. Like, you can see that the body composition is a nightmare. And I like to get into the, this guy, Dr. Sean Amara, he does MRIs and looks at the visceral fat. And it's kind of like an extreme DEXA scan, right? It's like the next level of DEXA. Sure. We can really see what's going on. And people have... Their legs are just pure fat. Like they can, he'll look at it. He, he, he did like a 72 year old woman who was just sedentary and her, it was just pure fat. And then there was a little muscle in the middle. And then that was still marble than fat. Mm-hmm. And then there was this, another lady who just, you know, was active and her muscle just looks like a regular muscle. It was just solid and thick and there was nothing there. So people, yeah, people just don't even know what's going on in their body. Well, it's, it's because, um, I think through, you know, I mean, obviously like, like the advent of, uh, of like health and, and, you know, modern medicine and whatnot, like people can effectively cheat, you know, like, uh, whereas maybe a couple hundred years ago, this wouldn't have been the case, you know, you mm-hmm. just wouldn't have survived. You wouldn't have lasted. And I, I think we've, you know, through obviously our lifestyle, all the modern convenience and everything that we've put together, it's just not as important. You know, we've gotten into this almost like the movie surrogates. Where it's like, at some point, I'm not even going to have to leave my house. Somebody else will leave the house and I can just control them from my own house. I mean, it, it's true with, with like the food stuff. Like I still trip out like Matt Vincent being like, yeah, I order all my food online. I never go to the market. Why would you waste that time? Because I enjoy going to the supermarket. I like mm-hmm. to go see the stuff or I like, you know, we go to farmer's markets where you go things to try to collect, like to get food. Because I think that's an interesting, um, it, it's just an interesting practice for my kids to see it and be connected to it. It's just, if like you just go online and there's a computer and you put it in and it magically shows up at your door. I just think it's such a f- disconnection. And I, I would say for, you know, somebody like Matt, who's so busy, it might make sense. But for me as a father, I just don't want to see, like, that's not what I want to paint the picture for my kids. Yeah. Well, we got on the, the food matters most. That's, that's what we're talking about here. And, I think, you know, you bring up the, the, the bodybuilders or the people just trying to put on muscle. And I think sometimes they miss some of this, right? Like, I don't know if you've experienced this where all they care about is protein 
and macros, but like don't go beyond that. Do you, do you have like strong opinions on that? Uh, I think um, one, I hate talking about macros. It's, <laughs> it's like, it, 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 even though it's for anything anybody ever wants to talk about, but uh, I think muscle is extremely expensive mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's not easily cultivated. Like my favors when we meet women are like, oh my God, I look at a barbell and I put on muscle. I'm like, holy shit. I've been chasing this for 30 years. How did you figure it out? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think uh, muscle is extremely expensive. It's mm-hmm. it's hard to put on. Uh, it takes um, you know some effort, some periodization, and some understanding. I also know that there's a direct relationship between muscle mass to body fat that increases you know metabolic flexibility. Um, you know I've, uh, you know recently on a podcast, I got so tired of uh, every time I turn on. There's everybody all they're ever talking about is, is fat loss. You know mm-hmm. fat loss. I mean. Every post Lee Norton has is on fat loss. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody's obsessed with this idea of like losing fat, losing fat. And it just became clear that, you know, the majority of people that we see when they start posting before and after, it's like, oh my God, look at this person's fat loss mm-hmm. uh, journey. They just looked worse. I mean, well, they had less fat, but they, they just didn't carry a ton of muscle. Mm-hmm. And when we start working with people, I realize. Uh, you know, percentage of body fat is just a percentage. If you gain 10 pounds of muscle, all of a sudden, uh, even the, you know, if you didn't do anything to change your body fat, uh, it obviously gets cut and you look dramatically better. So a lot of times people are so focused on losing weight and losing body fat when they probably do better just trying to put on some muscle. Uh, you know, uh, muscle is extremely insulin sensitive, fat's extremely oxidative. So just the fact that you put on more muscle increases thermogenics, everything just kind of increases. Mm-hmm. And I, I think just as a society, People just are very low muscle and, um, you know, we're, we're kind of equating it to fat, but at the end of the day, like people are just weaker because they're not forced to be able to do stuff. I mean, the fact that we have to create artificial ways to put on muscle and be strong is fucking blows my mind, but we do it better than anyone else. Powerathletehq.com forward slash Jack street, which we do. Uh, but the thing that, that I love about every one of the people that follows our training, and I can't say it's a hundred percent, but it's 99. And I know this because people tag me at John Wellborn and all of their training stuff. What I love is when they show me things that they're doing outside of the gym. Like, hey, I, I, I follow the training. Here's me doing something outside. And to me, that's by far the most dope stuff. Because they're using their fitness and their training and their strength and everything that they're gleaning from the programs in a meaningful way to go out and fucking take on the world and kick ass. Whether it's, you know, uh, a dude hunting or, uh, you know, somebody trekking somewhere or doing something wild. I want to see the physical, you know, application. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's real great just to train in the gym and look great, but like, how are you using it in interesting ways? That's the stuff that gets me excited. I love it. Yeah, there's two. Yeah, everyone is under muscle. Even I'm under muscle. I need to get back in the gym. What's up, dude? We got to get you <laughs> fucking jacked. Ah, uh, no, yeah, I, I hurt my finger. I'm like kind of like out of the loop here. Were you flicking bit? people off and some old lady snapped it? <laughs> Beach volleyball, man. Oh, Beach nice. volleyball. Yeah. Well, were, uh, weren't you kind of heavy? For a while? Back in my twenties, yeah, that's where my journey started. I was just round, kind of, and it, it, it's the body composition stuff. I, I do, I do, kind of hate that stuff where everyone's talking about macros or just like fat loss. But that, I mean, that is kind of what's needed for some people. Well, there's two sides of the coin, right? There's the fat loss and there's the muscle gain. And yet, a lot of people just try to do the fat loss. A lot of people don't even do it correctly, where they lose weight and they're losing muscle as well. Mm-hmm. That's a whole other story. That we get into the film, we need to tease this stuff out because we can't just say, oh, yeah, the scale's going down. That's good. I think most people, if they're, I'm so against the calorie counting paradigm and they're just like eat less, move more, or just cut calories, macros, stuff like that. 
Because if you're just eating less calories, you're just eating less protein and nutrients too. Unless you're very specific about it. I know you, you... Yeah, we're always about a high-protein diet and caloric restriction, but there's an easy way to get into caloric restriction. It's called do some fucking work. And get the high protein. Yeah. Well, you got you to gotta keep that protein. So most people don't focus on the protein part. They're just Weight Watchers. There's nothing about protein. Like, well, if, if you look at every single bodybuilder, and we'll just use bodybuilding because we talked about it earlier, but uh, you know, in terms of like big, strong, or let's say big, aesthetically pleasing individuals that carry a lot of muscle in relation to body fat bodybuilders kind of figured it out every single bodybuilding diet regardless of how you skin the macros Mm -hmm. is high protein and caloric restriction yep and how they get into caloric restriction is either they eat less food but a lot of times they just do more work so i would rather have people do more work than actually pull food but at some point you got to pull food Mm -hmm. when you see these guys at the peak i mean they're on super low carb i mean not sorry not low carb just uh, uh low calorie high protein and they're doing a ton of exercise I mean, that's how every bodybuilder's gotten shredded since the beginning of the world. But that's just simple science. Of your body wants protein nutrients. This is kind of more stuff we're doing in the film. Explain, breaking this down to people because not everyone is a bodybuilder. Not everyone understands all this stuff or even knows what food is. People are just like, oh, I do paleo. I do vegan. Like they don't even know. It's just like a name, right? They don't even understand what they're doing. So we're breaking. Why down. is it that all of the food <laughs> that are on the paleo diet are so like, I, like, so this, this is a huge problem that I had. You brought it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I fucking hate that the weirdos got attached to the paleo diet, that it was these dudes in loincloths or like the liver king and all these people mm-hmm. where they just turned into cartoon characters around the paleo because I actually love all the foods of the paleo diet. And I would say that majority of the foods we eat, let's say 80% that we eat at my house fit within the paleo diet. And it just, I mean, it's, it's been it's, hijacked kind of, it, it fucking got hijacked <laughs> by the fucking kooks and the weirdos. And that was always the most upsetting thing to me. Yeah. Well, I mean the, the reason I mean, at, at its core, it's just these are human foods, right? That's why you, you naturally are drawn to them and eat them. And that's, I mean, it's unfortunate that people, well, every, everything's a gimmick these days about making sales and money, right? So I guess people do hijack everything, even yeah. good things. But the yeah, worst no, thing, no gimmicks at powerathletehq.com forward slash nutrition. The worst thing that happened to paleo was the fucking paleo tards and the weirdos and just the fucking, the kooks that showed up. And it just, it like jumped the shark. And I remember like feeling so bad and like even talking to Rob Wolf about this. And he's like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't didn't think these weirdos would show up. Brian, did Paleo FX draw you to Austin? Uh, No, but there, there, there was a lot of, uh, there's just a lot of great people in Austin that eat meat and and are are woken up. They're not woke. They are awake. Uh, Do you, do you think, uh, uh, what did Matthew McConaughey call Austin? The blueberry and the bowl of chili, I think is what Matthew (laughs) McConaughey referred to as Austin. But Austin still, I mean, uh, it's funny. You meet people from Texas and they're like, ah, oh, these damn Californians coming here. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah, no. The, the real staunch Californians never moved. But there, like, There's some. There's some people that I wish didn't move here. Oh, I'm, yeah. from, I'm from Hawaii. Though. I'm not from California. But yeah, now there are. But I'm, you lived in California. I lived in California. But yes, I, I came here to be to, for some meat and freedom. I didn't come here for, you know, bring some L.A. politics over here. Yeah, but there are some. I'm telling you, you go, you walk around Austin. You're out here, you know. You're out west. I'm in the I'm in the middle of things. <laughs> you're in the belly of the beast. Oh man, I, I I'm on Fifth Street too. I'm like kind of near downtown. I, I walk around. People are like, God, they're N95s on. They're kind of like wandering around, like trying to figure out where they are. Yeah, it's not good. Uh, well, I mean, uh, I think unfortunately, um, 
whether and, and I'll, uh, I, I was reflecting on this recently. So my dad hated the television. He used to call it the idiot box. Mm-hmm. And he was firmly convinced that television would be the downfall of humanity, mm-hmm. that it made people lazy. Uh, it was like just like the force feeding. Like you've obviously seen those like uh, old cartoons where like the, you know, the zombies are just watching the TVs and it's going by. And so my dad was convinced that uh, the idiot box would be the end of society. Mm. And uh, I don't, I, I mean, it was true. I mean, we talk about the dumbing down of society from mm. basically just TV shows and mundane. Like, I don't even think he could fathom what the internet is, has effectively done because what it's made us is just consumers of content and information that are being put together and pushed out in a way. And uh, it's like, you know, ideally you want people to be able to have their own ideas and be able to find like-minded people. But the barrage of information, I mean, like I see it in my kids and like, I feel uh, like had have to have like a conversation with them almost daily. Whereas, you know, we didn't grow up with this, you know, I mean, uh, I didn't have a cell phone until I went to the NFL. Like uh, we weren't, you know, maybe uh, 30 minutes to an hour of TV, but that was because there was nothing ever on. Mm-hmm. I remember that like, we turn on and it'd be like mash the news or like Judge Judy or uh, Judge Wapner or something. And I remember we turn it on and it sucks and we go outside. Whereas now they have Netflix, there's thousands of channels, there's DVR. I mean, there's something on all the time that you can watch endlessly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't know if, uh, as a kid, if I could have even handled that. And so trying to give them perspective. But what scares me is like, we know, like at least physically, or I know, um, and I'm sure there's people listening to podcasts that do remember a different time. What I'm worried about is when all of a sudden this generation goes and this is all they know, mm-hmm. where all of a sudden, what do you mean? TikTok dances are normal. Mm-hmm. You know, you're over there like pointing at your, like all the words like on TikTok, but like that, <laughs> that, that will become the cultural norm. That will be, you know, my dad talking about like, I remember we didn't have a TV. We just, we used to listen to the radio. Mm-hmm. Like there's like a different, like we didn't have a, a refrigerator. We had an ice box. Mm-hmm. There was a, there was a deal where a dude would show up and you put ice into your like, there was a door on the outside of your house. They would put ice in and then your food, like he explained it to me and we saw one once and I was like, holy shit. You know, like, like I never knew it was like to have an ice box, but it was cool that he showed me. So, I mean, I, I think over time you lose perspective and what I, what I'm nervous about. And we were talking about to take it back to meat. Um, like you said, like there were, you know, uh, there was probably a point where these kids were, you know, saw, you know, thousands of animals processed before they could talk. Well, now we're in a time where like, that's not the norm anymore. And people have to go out and do it. Like how long does it take to scrub and what's it going to take to be able mm-hmm. to awaken people and realize that this isn't how society has gone. And actually we're in a process of de-evolution, not evolution. Well, I think we're splitting into two societies. I think there, there are people like us and we're going down this path and everyone listening is probably on this path, but, and I, I thought it was like a, a large amount of people. And then you look around and you're like, Oh wait, we're only like 1%. And then the, the rest of the world's going to go down the Wally path. I never saw the movie, but I've seen clips. You've seen those clips with the people in the carts, like with the food and like the bellies hanging over. Mm-hmm. I, that, I think that's, the, that's like the end stage of what you're talking about. It's like this progression from the icebox to, you know, to the fridge, to the, to the, yeah. Like the, to the Uber TV, Eats where yeah. I don't even need to have a fucking refrigerator anymore because they just deliver food to my house. Yeah. And then, the, and we're seeing this play out in front of us and, I said I just traveled. It is Wally out there, right? Even even to some airports lately. Yeah, it's Wally world. Yeah, but is it is Wally. it globally? Or I mean, because you've traveled the world, you've traveled yeah. to Africa, you've been other places. Is this universal for the places that you've been? I mean, I remember. I mean, it, it's wild. I mean, we're traveling to Costa Rica in a couple of weeks, which is cool because we really haven't gone 
anywhere since, you know, uh, pre-COVID, right? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of neat that we're getting a chance to go somewhere. But I I remember uh, I was in, man, I think we were at, uh, we were in Amsterdam uh, and we were at, uh, uh, sitting at a pub drinking outside and we started playing a game with some people. I think they were, God, I don't know if they were from Holland or if they were like where they were from, but they were either from like Holland or like one of the, the uh, like uh, Denmark or something. So we were sitting there drinking beers with them. Uh, and we were playing a drinking game on like guess the nationality of people that were walking by. And it was like if they had white socks, they were American. If they were fat, they were either American or German. <laughs> like if they had a scarf, they were like Italian. Mm-hmm. And so we were just trying to pick people up yeah. and like, man, and then somebody had to go over and talk to them and figure out. And it was mm-hmm. a fun drinking game. But it was very apparent when you they'd see like a fat person, they'd be like American. I'd be like, no, fucking no. go over and make sure enough they were American or German. Mm. And uh, it was got to the point where I was like, fuck. Like, this isn't helping our cause here. Yeah, well, yeah, Americans are leading the way. British British are, n- are not looking good. I've, yeah, I mean, in the past 10 years, I've been, yeah, I've been to Australia. I've been to Southeast Asia. I've been to South America. I've been to Europe. I've been all over. It, it, I think America definitely is the worst. What's interesting about Africa is, nor- like, I went to Uganda as well. After we did the, the tribes, we went, because there's the pygmies, the Batwa are in Uganda. We have to go all the way out to the, con- well, it's almost to the the Congo area, the where the mountain gorillas are. And anyway, the people oh, like the gorillas in the mist, the Jane Goodall stuff. Yeah. yeah. And so we went out and we did that. It was great. It was during COVID and it was like half price, and we're like, oh, let's do it. And Sweet. We like went and you like trek, and you have to find them. Well, we didn't find them, but they they actually have people out there tracking the gorillas and then you don't know where they are and you have to go find them and they like have radios and like here they are and we saw like the band of gorillas with a silver back and we got right up next to them it was crazy sweet but in uganda every and tanzania generally people like other than in the, the the real heart of the cities where people were just eating a bunch of processed foods they were they looked normal like they were fit and this was right during covid they didn't do covid they just no you mean one did no mass no, no social distancing? No, no one knew what it was. Like, no one knew what a mask was. If you wore a mask in Tanzania, they'd be like, what is wrong with this person? Like, it's they probably, like, stay away from you because they're like, this guy's sick, which is probably the right reaction. Sure. <laughs> no, they were stuffed in vans. They had 20 people in an eight-person van. Just no one heard of COVID. Uh, they were all in pretty good shape as well. So they, how big are the pygmies? Are they as small as, like, as I'm imagining when I say no, the word pygmy, they they weren't that small because they they interbreed into the just normal population, so that they're just you know they're like four foot eleven or something, five foot two. Well, wasn't there an original thought that uh, the pygmies were not Homo sapiens? I don't know. I don't know that. I don't know that one. I'm, I'm the, the other one I'm fascinated yeah. by is uh, they've shown all these different like versions of humanity, like the Neanderthals and that deal, and then they just all disappeared, and there was just one Homo sapiens. So there was almost like this war of like different humanoids. I mean, yeah. I mean, Neanderthals died out somehow. Well, they they, they found uh, there was an island where they found like another offspring of like humanity. That Homo these, flor- florianthes. Yeah, the little people. Florianthes. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, yeah, like the hobbits. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they dude, There's some like like the evolutionary stuff is Homo pretty. Flor- epic. Yeah, you, I don't know how to spell it. Flor- yeah. Florianthes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but. It, it sounds like, at least in your travels, uh, the farther away you get from the city and like processed foods back into this, like we've said, like within your ancestral diet, 
Um, you know, you're obviously, I, I, did you interview Michael Rose? I did. So we, yeah, you know, so, oh nice. yeah, uh, dude. Um, so Michael Rose was on Rob Wolf's podcast is when mm-hmm. I first he popped on my radar and a few of the people that I consider to be the smartest people I know, like Matt Lalonde and Rob and mm-hmm. these guys, when they refer to somebody as like, that's the smartest dude in the room. Mm. Uh, like, uh, Chris master, John, same mm-hmm. deal. Uh, you, you got to pay attention. And, uh, Michael Rose gave that incredible talk on, uh, and at the ancestral health symposium on bees mm-hmm. or, uh, no, it wasn't on bees. It was, fruit, uh, fruit, fruit flies. flies. Yeah. And, you know, uh, incredible talk, but he talked about, you know, at a certain point they have to take the fruit flies back to their ancestral diet to allow them to, to have a healthy life. And, uh, you know, up to the age of about four days. Uh, they can feed them whatever they want and then they end up dying off really quick or they can kind of, uh, you know, extend. And his thing was like, this is a great metaphor because we can track it this way. And uh, the one thing that was most impactful for me about Michael Rose wasn't the fact like he gave an incredible talk. Mm-hmm. But as he was giving his CV and he and all of a sudden he's like in 1959 and you're like, how old is this dude? That's what I was going to say. Oh, my God. And so I went back and read all of his books on like uh, uh, aging and perception mm-hmm. in this. And like his whole deal is like, you know, our brain ages us based upon our vision and our eyes. And, uh, you know, that's why women age slower than men. And he went through a whole bunch of stuff. But I mean, just super fascinating. But like that guy in terms of like his information in terms of aging and returning to the ancestral diet was by far one of the most impactful talks I've ever heard. He's amazing. He's in the film. You're just listing the, the people in the film. Chris Master John, you know, like Rob Wolf, like we're getting. Well, yeah, dude, these are all Rose, these yeah. are all of our friends. These are all our contemporaries. I mean, these are you know friends of mine, like you know Matt Lalonde and Rob. I mean, I spoke at the Social Health Symposium in 2011. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was at the first one, and uh, um, you know this evolutionary science deal. I mean, this has been part of our life for the last 10 years. So it's great that you're bringing these people on. But what's wild is it's not a very big community. And as my buddy oh. Rick always says, when you push out to the fringe, it's one person. Mm-hmm. And Lalonde, we tried to even get Lalonde in. He didn't respond because he did a great nutrient density presentation. And yeah, and yeah he just didn't respond. I don't know. Maybe uh, he doesn't like people. Yeah. Um, actually, uh, <laughs> and, and, and oddly enough, uh, I think it's Rob and I are the only people he likes. Yeah. Because I, I meet people constantly. They're like, hey, we've been trying to get a hold of Matt Lalonde. I'm like, oh, really? And I'll call him. He'll pick right up. And I'm like, what's going on? I'm like, man, all these people are trying to get a hold of you. He's like, yeah, no, I'll never no. pick up. Wow. Well, <laughs> well, he's done Power Athlete Radio. He has. Uh, and it's funny because uh, two people, one is Morrow and the other one's Lalonde. I'll still get emails or people being like, hey, we'd like to get them on. We can't get them on. I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. Well, yeah, we did back him into a corner. What's the best Halloween candy? And he's like, nothing. We're like, no, no, no. <laughs> we don't take no for an answer. <laughs> so peanut M&Ms, people. Let mm. Matt Lalonde like stamp of approval. <laughs> I must mean it's true then. Well, what's uh, what's funny is uh, the carnivore people were chasing Matt Lalonde around to try to get him to sign off on the carnivore stuff. Mm. And like, you know, like, uh, um, and Matt's whole deal has always been like, you know, the, the healthiest people are the people that can eat the most diverse diet, you know, and Roy G. Biv and, uh, you know, obviously high protein diet, but like, you know, to be able to consume, you know, like obviously plants and this and we're omnivores. And so like his always deal has been like the greatest form of health is the people that can consume the greatest amount of foods, which is also Dr. Tom's take. And, uh, if you effectively, can only consume one food, like just carnivore, like eat meat. That's the only thing I can hold down. I'm like, is that a great indicator of like your mm-hmm. ability to, uh, you know, metabolic flexibility and health and whatever, if you can't eat diverse foods? They're, they're very fragile. Yeah. I want to be anti-fragile. Yeah. Yeah. I'm against carnivore, soul carnivore diets. It sounds crazy. Well, I mean, well, even uh, uh, Paul Saldino kind of pivoted 
And, yeah. uh, you know, he was this and now all of a sudden he's talking about, you know, uh, carbs from fruit and, um, you know, honey, honey and yeah. other things. So he kind of has pivoted more to, I mean, you know, which, uh, you know, is what kind of Matt always said, like eat a high protein diet and, you know, find foods that are, you know, carbohydrates and like we need carbs. The idea of the carbophobe, you know, has kind of died out, but you know, I mean, it's, uh, I, I just get nervous, uh, when people get so restrictive, mm-hmm. like you have the vegans on one side where it's like, you only eat this and you get the carnivore people on the other side. And I'm like, yo man, like, you guys are the same. Yeah, you guys are like the same people. It's a yeah. circle. You'll eventually get back to the well, same fucking. This yeah. is where we started. People don't know what food is. Yeah. Well, that that's a whole nother story. Yeah, that we we can get into that. I, I was yeah. I, yeah. first. I want to wrap up Michael Rose because that guy's amazing. Uh, one of the smartest dudes I've ever heard. So he's gonna be in the film. We haven't filmed with him yet. We're saving him to get all of our last juicy bits. And that presentation, I swear, if someone asked me. All my money. How old is he? I'd say 45. He's 65. 65. 65 in that presentation. Dude, I had to go look it up because he references when he got his PhD in 1959. Yeah. And my fucking head exploded. I stopped it and I had to Google uh, how old he was and he was in his mid-60s. He looks incredible. I mean, he just, he's super fit, looks young, intelligent, went well with all. It was like when we met Art Devaney. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever met Art Devaney. Mm-hmm. He looks like Superman's granddad. He's like super fit, lucid, in great shape. Uh, you know, Rob uh, gave a, um, you know, told me a story once. He went, to, I think they were in New York and went to dinner with Art Devaney. And like Art like jumped off the curb and like sprinted across the street to like catch a taxi. And he's like, fuck, dude, if he had a cape, he would have flown away. He was like, he's so athletic and he moves so well. And, you know, his evolutionary fitness it w- was super impactful for me back in the day. Um, still is. I mean, but just if, um, for all of the lip service and whatnot, like you can see a dude like Michael Rose or Art Devaney, I'm going to probably gravitate towards what those guys are doing more so than what other people are doing. Or the Michael Grieger, the vegan doctor that looks like he's like going to die any second. Yeah. He's like got a fat stomach and he's just full of visceral fat. Like, or the other, yeah, some of these vegan doctors are losing their minds. Like, uh, I forget the guy's name, John something. He's just eating a low fat diet for the past 20 years and his brain's gone. <laughs> He's like, it's literally gone. Like he's like, there's like videos of him just like all over the place, like talking nonsense. It's, it's, it's wild. Like, well, can, can you imagine being so bought in on an ideology that even in the face of like your own mortality and death, you still can't pivot out of it. You're stuck. Yeah. You can't see, you can't see outside of it, but okay. So Michael, one more thing with Michael Rose, he, for me, what really connected with me is the idea Like I thought, okay, my story is, you know, around 30, I lost both my parents. And also, I thought my metabolism was slowing down. It's like, oh, I can't eat whatever I want anymore. I'm, I'm 30. It's it's actually flipped. So Michael Rose, with his fruit fly research, flipped it. So it's not that your metabolism slows down when you're 30. It's that you're less adapted to the modern diet. Mm-hmm. right? So it's like as you age, you are less adapted to eat processed foods. And some people are better adapted than others, and some people can last longer. Isn't it gene expression? I think is, is what he talked about is that like, genetically as we age and you start getting in this splitting like i I think it's what what is it like uh genetic replication cell Mm -hmm. replication after a certain amount of points like your body doesn't have the ability to fight and genetically you have to return to your ancestral diet i think is i could be fucking that whole thing it's a little bit like that yeah i don't remember all the details but it's you have to go back to your ancestral diet is and that's what they found with the fruit flies and they gave them different versions they had the ancestral they used like apples and these like different like yeah the original fruit flies they got like a back of like some orchard in like maine 
and they brought them and they fed them, you know, they'd have hundreds of generations eating apples. And then the next ones they brought them on. And like, I think they did like, uh, was it bananas? And then they brought them on and it was pretty wild to see that like, and then I think they bred them in generations and cause they only lived seven days. So they were able to accelerate it. You can, yeah. So they could look at tons of generations really quickly. And I think that's the ultimate thing is you need to go as soon as possible, go back to your most ancestral diet. And that's actually, have you heard of paleo medicina in, uh, they're in Europe somewhere. They go back to the ultimate ancestral diet, which is just like bone marrow and fat and, and organ meats and meat and like kind of lower protein to cure cancers and to reverse like insane things. And in, in extreme cases, it's basically let's go back to the diet that we were eating like three million years ago and they have amazing results. So that I think there's really something to just going back to how the human body just like what it needs and not everyone needs that though right the the other one too which um uh i i'm, I'm going to talk out of turn because i haven't uh i just cracked it um but that book breath where mm. they talk about like uh like the chain and um I, I actually got into this there was a book called deep nutrition i read years ago uh where the gal went through and she used a bunch of western prices pictures mm-hmm. to show the difference between faces of like uh, people that were raised in like a evolutionary kind of like a, a hunter gatherer diet versus today. And they talked about like the narrowing of the face. If you look up uh, true nutrition, Charles, deep nutrition. Yeah. yeah Dr. Deep, Kate. Yeah. Yeah. Deep you, nutrition. You said deep nutrition the yeah. first time. Yeah. And Dr. I said Kate. true nutrition, but yeah. it's deep nutrition, but she showed all the Weston price. The one thing that's fascinating is when they looked at these like, uh, you know, individuals, the amount of chewing that they did because the food was unprocessed was like, could be anywhere from like, four to nine hours a day of like being able to chew through roots or, or like this, or even be able to chew meat that hadn't been cooked. So the idea is that because of the chewing, the jaw develops and then the nose, because obviously as you're chewing, you can't breathe through your mouth. So they talk about like the nasal passages and like, it's pretty fascinating to think like evolutionary. Yeah. I mean, the food is one thing, but actually how the food was consumed and how it was processed is a, is another key component that people tend to gloss over. Well, Dr. Kate is another person in the film. Is she in the film? She's in the film. Dude, I must have read her book uh, like 12 to 14 years ago. And in in my original, when we would go teach CrossFit football, the original nutrition talk was based off of her book, Deep Nutrition, because it was so impactful. Well, she was the nutritionist for the Lakers. So around, I don't know if it was 15 years ago, she was, she kind of got. When they were good. She, yeah. Uh, text, remind me, because uh, we're going to reach out to her. we got to get her. Uh, she'd be great oh, to get on the podcast. Great. And we have a I'll hookup here. But, I mean, sure. I read her book so long ago. And then she got into, the, not to cut you up, but the whole deal with uh, the Fibonacci sequence for the faces. Mm-hmm. Where they talked about, and, and I've used this talk within, like, symmetry yeah, and beauty. Tom Cruise. Yeah, uh, Tom. Mm-hmm. Was he, did his face match on the Fibonacci sequence? Where do you think Probably they got the, it, John? All those, act, all those actors. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, so we were getting. Yeah, it was this, him and Cameron Diaz were the where we had the the uh, the perfection of the face. But what they found was that uh, they did the same overlay, and it was actually a plastic surgeon that figured out uh, Marques, the doctor, the Marques mask was he could lay the 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 digital mask on a face and see where you were deficient within the Fibonacci sequence, and that's what we understand symmetry and beauty. But the one thing that was wild was she laid the Marques mask on all the old pictures of Weston Price that he took mm-hmm. because he was obsessed with the tooth decay. So he took pictures of the faces. Uh-huh. All of a sudden, they were like lining them up and they all fit perfect. And that was like the fucking bomb in her book. And I was like, oh, fuck. Like, this is 
it's she's amazing i my friends got pregnant and i immediately bought them her book that's like my go-to book to buy for pregnant women or it's so so the Weston Price stuff is also super interesting. And we go into a whole Weston Price section. He was amazing. The people that have since taken over his research and like the Weston Price Foundation are kind of insane. They're loon. They're built loony. Yeah. But they have some stuff right. And I have a theory about them because because they're so right about the nutrition stuff. They think that they're like that there's this, you know, they're they're ahead of the game on everything. And they're like, oh, COVID is caused by 5G. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, they get a little wacky. But. But, but but Weston Price was an amazing doc, dentist. He went around the world about a hundred years ago, and he went to all these populations. I'm trying to kind of recreate some of that, right? Mm-hmm. That's why I go to Africa. I've been to Costa Rica. He, oh well, that's more in the blue zones. But he he went around the world to find these people who still had amazing health and they had amazing teeth, and teeth are good. Well, his son died of tooth decay, and so he became obsessed with this idea of like, why does tooth decay exist? So he went out and he found the hunter gatherer tribes to try to figure out like why tooth decay didn't exist in them. And then he figured out that they didn't have like any of our modern problems and they were all fitter and bigger. And it was like, even to the point where uh, the one that was most impactful for me was they had um, two twins. One was raised in the city and the other one was raised and they mm-hmm. showed them like physically side by side and the difference in face yeah. in terms of, like the bridge of the nose and the jaw and just the physical structure was like fucking two different people. Well, that's okay. So what his big thesis was, this is, goes to us at the very beginning. We talked about know the enemy and what, what are these things that are uh, attacking us? And it's, he said sugar, flour, and oil. It's basically refined grains, the added sugar, and the, the seed oils, the, the cooking oils, industrial oils. So what you're talking about is everywhere he went, if they were isolated and they didn't have trade yet, they didn't have those three ingredients that came in, they were fine. And then, yes, what you're talking about is a younger brother I remember this. I talk about this exact thing a lot where they were in this, they were raised differently. They had, so they started eating the breads and the jam. And he, so he called them the diseases of civilization. Mm-hmm. And he also called caused them the, the displacement foods. So this is one of our big theories of, and it gets into like, what is food and what we're talking about is it's all coming together now is that these foods, the sugar, the flour, the oil, some people can debate whether they're uniquely toxic. Like, I don't think sugar is uniquely toxic. We need glucose. Like, we need carb. You know what I mean? There's, there, there's certain things are oil. You know, there's this big debate about seed oil. Like, how bad is it? And, you know, Dr. Kate's actually very against it. And she goes into a lot of the science of why it's bad and how it gets in your cells. And it's just, it's it's polyunsaturated. You don't want these, mm-hmm. like, unstable bonds. And there's, there's a lot of science to it. And I do like that. But you can also look at it simply as the displacement foods. Right, if you're getting a whole bunch of sugar, flour, and oil in your diet, that is displacing protein and nutrients. So we're talking, what is food? Food is just protein and nutrients, and then there's kind of energy, right? Energy is fat or carbs. If you think about it that simply, your body just wants protein and nutrients. And like you're saying, all these bodybuilders already always know this. So it's like, how do you lose weight? How do you get cut? Get all the protein and nutrients your body needs and get rid of the the energy well if you look at the car uh, the krebs cycle so if you guys google krebs cycle you'll see that the two sources for the krebs cycle are fat and carbohydrates you can obviously uh gluconeogenesis can convert protein and you can start you know using ketones to hack in and you know use those within the energy source but if you look at like the krebs cycle i mean it's protein i mean sorry it's carbohydrates and fat are your energy sources like you said and like really protein is the greatest determining factor. I mean, when we start talking about like changes within body composition mm-hmm. and this is where everybody gets wrapped around the axle on like this macronutrient balancing deal. I'm like at the end of the day, like you can balance 
uh, you know, carbs and fat based upon taste, like the non-negotiables is always going to be protein mm -hmm. and the amount of calories that you're consuming in a day. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, you know, it's very hard to, you know, like if you want to be shredded, like you got to eat a high protein diet, it's muscle sparing and it fits within it. And you're going to have to do it in some form of caloric restriction. If you want to get big and jacked, you're going to have to eat a high protein diet with more calories than you're burning. I mean, and it involves lifting weights and some mm -hmm. form of protein synthesis. Like we were, we had a podcast yesterday talking about the bulking and I'm like, yeah, don't bulk if you're not fucking banging heavy weights every, you know, every couple of days or at least or four or five days a week. The worst thing you can do is like, ah, I haven't trained in a month, but I'm on this bulking protocol because <laughs> yeah. regardless of how great the food was. And this was also a contention I had with Rob uh, early on in the paleo deal where um, there was this kind of misconception that you could eat as much as you wanted on the paleo diet mm. and never get fat. Mm. And uh, I remember being like, wow. Well, then, then we showed up to a couple events and I was like, there's a bunch of fat paleo people. And uh, I remember Rob's comment. He's like, yeah, because they eat like starved hogs. And regardless of like whatever, you, you can key somebody the most amazing diet on the planet. And if you overconsume those calories and you don't burn enough or exercise, you're going to be fat. Mm -hmm. Like there's no way to hack into that you know, part of our genetic code. There's no magic foods. Yeah. Yeah. The, the best thing you do is get an edge with whole foods, like whole foods, like paleo is just about whole foods. Yeah, right? real so foods. You, you can definitely get an edge and, and it's kind of talking about satiety too. I like to talk about that because if you're eating a lot of protein and whole foods, then you should be naturally full. You should be right. Yeah. So I'm not saying everyone yet. Yeah, there, there are fat people out there doing this. Yeah. No, I mean, you we can overeat whole foods, you know, which is also, uh, what was it? Um, uh, FTO gene. Um, you know, we did some genetic testing. We figured out that actually Luke had the FTO gene, which was crazy because he could eat more food than anybody I've ever seen. Well, you got to explain what that gene is. So there's a gene that your body, uh, like, so we, we had a, how was it? A fitness genes. Yes. I actually went back to look at my results and that was the first one I, I sought out. Okay. So the FTO gene, which they figured out was, uh, has to deal with your body's internal regulation of food. Mm -hmm. So if you have this gene your body no longer regulates how much you can eat. Uh, ben, uh, no colon BT, Ben Taylor, complete uh, FTO gene, can fucking eat like a bottomless pit to the point where like he has to like plan his food out because he's like, dude, if, if I just eat till I'm full, it's never, it's like a, mm. it's like a bottomless pit. Luke with same thing. Uh, we, we would go to these eating challenges. Mm. Like we went to El Tapiac that had like an eight pound burrito. Luke fucking smashed that thing and then smashed my burrito. I am no the way. worst fucking big eater. Like yeah. I ate like a quarter and they were talking shit to me and I'm like, I'm going to puke. And Luke's over there just housing everything. You can eat those. You can eat those. I'm like, God damn, this guy's an endless pit. Well, they, that's too bad for some people that, that have that. But um, yeah, that processed foods is usually what makes people overeat. So yeah. Well, it's the magical balance. Rob, uh, I remember Rob uh, in one of his talks made a great point where he's like, the magical balance of like overconsumption is the mixing of sugar and fat. Yep. Like he's like, think of a donut. Yep. He's like, when you take sugar and fat and you deep fry it in oil, he's like, you basically have created like the paradox of like obesity. And then the problem is, is like you, your body eats that it's every serotonin response. And like, you want to consume everyone. And here's another side to it. Not only is that completely true. And that's what all processed foods are. These hyper palatable combinations of those. And it's also the, the Western price. What's a donut? It's sugar, flour, and oil. Yeah. It's, that's all it is. But also, it's that your body isn't getting the, any protein or nutrients. So a donut has zero protein and nutrients, basically. It's just pure energy and sugar and flavor. So if your body doesn't get that, pro your body wants to get protein and nutrients. That's all it wants. 
And if you give it foods that don't have that, it's going to keep eating until it tries to get the protein and nutrients. This is kind of the protein leverage hypothesis that I think is super interesting. Is is They've shown this in all different animal species, that all animals will eat to get a certain amount of protein, right? And so if you change out their food, you could do a study with a rat, right? And you get rats need 12% protein, right? So they have rat chow, 12% protein, whatever carbs, fat, doesn't matter. They're fine. Then they can lower 10% protein. They give them like the same pellets, but it's 10% protein. They will overeat the exact amount to get that same amount of protein that they wanted and they'll get fatter because they had to eat more calories to get there. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that is huge. And that's why it's so bad that the protein has been going down in the population. You can actually look at all the population in the last, since 1980, there's been a huge uptick in obesity. Mm-hmm. That That's when the dietary guidelines were introduced. And that's when the population started lowering their protein. It's actually gone down a couple percent since then. Mm-hmm. And that actually, if you do the math, it's like how fat is the population. It's kind of the same amount as predicted by how the protein is lowered. Wow. Yeah. And so th- th- your body just needs that. It's so simple. Your body just wants protein and nutrients. I always include nutrients in there. That's what I was trying to bring up earlier is that sometimes the, the bodybuilding crowd misses that. Mm-hmm. Because I think there's more to health than body composition. Sure. It's kind of obvious. There's the, your immune health and there's like, all, you know, talking about metabolic flexibility and all this type of stuff. So I always include nutri- nutrients in there. And we do that in the film too, where it's not just protein leverage. It should be nutrient leverage. And your body is looking for protein and nutrients. And if you don't give it food with adequate protein and nutrients, it's going to eat more food. Right? So that, that's also what I'm saying about paleo. It's like, it's a good thing if you're eating whole foods, you have an advantage. We're talking about the satiety advantage, but you also have the protein and nutrients. Protein and nutrients are kind of tied into satiety. Mm-hmm. It's like, why can you eat an entire bag of chips and not get full? Because it doesn't have the protein and nutrients. It's not filling you up properly. And why? And the opposite is whole foods usually have the right amount of protein and nutrients compared to their energy. I thought it was the crunchiness and the salt. <laughs> but it's uh, all, it's too, it's a push pull. I thought pull. it was a margarita. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, I, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, for me personally, uh, I like, uh, the crunch of chips, mm-hmm. like, like the salt and the crunch for some reason, like that's like, and I think it might be actually like the, uh, the crunchiness where it's like you eat them and you're like, ah, like if the chips come, it's like, uh, it's like picking a belly button. Like, don't like, I just don't even have them. I'm like, just take them. Cause I'm going to eat the whole basket and I'm not going to be mad about it. Uh, the, the one thing though, that, uh, I always say to people too, like, you know, like, uh, if you eat enough, like, um, th- that's another thing. And this kind of plays into it. And I've mm-hmm. noticed this, if like you go out to a steakhouse and you eat a big steak, mm-hmm. uh, the amount of people that order dessert is probably zero. Mm-hmm. And I know we do this all the time. Like mm-hmm. we went out to a steakhouse and we, uh, we were at Papa's Bros in Houston and we had a badass steak and like the lady like was like, uh, you guys want dessert? And everybody's like, no, no dessert. But I mean, how many times if you don't eat enough, you're like, oh yeah, I got room for dessert because you need enough steak. Well, if you had a pot, yeah. If you go out for like pasta or something and there's like a tiny little bit of meat, then yeah, you're, you're going to be either hungry an hour later or right then and there. Well, continue with know your enemy. You introduced three, but there was a fourth. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're, we're, yeah, we're in wrap up mode here. The Weston Price figured out a lot. And a lot of the modern sciences is proving it out right it's actually proving all the stuff that he talked about and it's i think the sugar flour oil that's the main enemy the funny thing we started off by talking about how the world thinks enemies red meat i mean it's not funny it's sad but it's like too yeah but like and i know we've danced around it but like like when did this narrative change and more importantly like 
like uh like you know cui, like um cui bono like who who benefits from this because oh, i mean yeah. if, like like if you think about it like who benefits from a sick and weak population like i don't think anybody does i, I don't think people want super sick populations they want what you're talking about is docile populations some, something that they can just control i think there's always been a power dynamic that's like the, the pharaohs and the, the peasants of the ancient egypt that same thing of just like the power at the very top and everyone else and i think that's still going on today we just don't know it it's kind of happening at a world level that people just don't really realize it's going on at the world level now like klaus schwab's around you know looking like uh, what's it? the evil scientist from Austin Powers? Uh, well, <laughs> Dr. Evil. Dr. Well, well, evil. The, well the, the other one is whenever they show those dudes, they're always wearing these robes. That he remind, wears the robes. Like they wear these robes that remind me of like, um, um, did you ever see uh, Star Trek, The Search for Khan? Like they're all dressed up. Is that the fourth one? Dude, that was like the best one was when uh, uh, Ricardo Montalban is playing Khan. And I love Ricardo Montalban. Huge fucking fantasy island fan when I was a kid. Uh, but they're wearing these like outfits, like they're Klingons or like uh, fucking like it's like crazy. Like it's straight up like whenever you see those like Bohemian uh, Grove or any of these like wacky space culture. Like, that's what these fucking guys are wearing. I'm like, <laughs> who, for, first of all, who designs these outfits? It's like the superheroes. I always want to know, like, like, do they have like a superhero costume designer that comes up with this crazy shit? Where the fuck does Klaus Schwab get this outfit? I think he thinks he's a superhero. This is, I think. Pull this up, Charles. Klaus Schwab. Yeah, he. It's like the gray thing with like the weird collar. Oh yeah, like it's the, straight up like, uh, like you know, like the the aliens come and he's in charge of like the intergalactic planetary. There like, oh, the first one. The first one. I have the second one. Uh, dude, look look at the crazy <laughs> outfit with this like, like oh my god, and they they got this like it's all this weird fucking Masonic like. Templar. Look at the second one too. Hey Tex, you're a Templar. Look at that. Like uh, a Freemason, aren't you? All the Freemason imagery, right? Yeah. What's the other one? Uh, um, well, you got the Templars and then you got the Freemasons. I'm the third one that you wouldn't understand. Uh, okay. Yeah. I'm not in any secret societies, as you guys know. I'm not in a secret society, so I'm, I'm a little. He thinks he he is. I think he thinks he's a superhero. I think these guys they're like kind of megalomaniacs where they think kinda. <laughs> well, they think that they they have. I don't know. Most of them are rich, and they just think that they have more knowledge and power, and they deserve to rule the world. Basically, um, do you feel like? Um, and I know this is maybe a bridge too far, but like whenever I hear any of their talk on ideology, it sounds a lot like the Nazis repackaged. And I always wonder. I'm like, is this just like the repackaging of the Fourth or Fourth Reich? Because it sounds a lot like uh, like the Aryan Nazi. Uh, Hitler's kind of master plan stuff. Like whenever I listen to it, I'm like, and he's German too. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean this sounds like, and and then what's amazing is then all of a sudden when you connect all like the people from not only our government and all the other governments that are on board with these guys, and what's wild is I'm like, when I hear the message, it sounds batshit crazy, but I'm like, what are they telling these guys? I know nothing of this. The Great Reset. Yeah. Oh. Man. Oh, he he wrote a book. This is the best part. He wrote a book called The Great Reset. Uh, that was going to come on, um, that was going to be started by, I want to say, a pandemic. And it, the book was released in May, and like we had lockdown in April. Like it was the weirdest thing. But yeah, the Great Reset, the pandemic. I mean, these guys have been like at the forefront. And the problem is, you know, you get people like, oh, it's conspiracy theory. And I'm like, no, no, no. They have videos where these guys are talking about this that we're going to usher in this Great Reset using the pandemic for it. Yeah. I mean, and then like they had like Biden the other day. Uh, the second pandemic is coming. We need your money for it. Like it's fuck. Like 
it's it's telegraphing. I mean, they're I mean, they've gotten to the point where it's so brazen they're not even hiding this stuff anymore. And I think for like the average American, like me or like mm-hmm. you guys, um, you know, we want to raise our kids, we want our kids to go to a school where you know they don't come home and and I have to like spend three hours trying to deprogram them from all the nonsense. We want to be able to you know see our kids grow up. Like I want to be able to go to the store and like you know be able to buy the foods I want without some weird fucking tax. I want to be able to go lift some weights and live my life unabated. And I think. Hopefully, the majority of people fit within that life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, right? Well, they're making it hard. I think most people just buy into it, and they do a good job of discrediting people and making them seem like conspiracy theorists. When we're just like saying they are telling us what they're doing, and yet there are report. There's like a 2010 document that talks about this, the whole pandemic, and how they're going to roll out all this stuff. And it's like this, they 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 can do stuff out in the open and this planning. And then most people, when you talk to them about it, I go home to Hawaii, everyone's brainwashed there. And they just think you're a lunatic. You're like, are you like Alex Jones? Like, what are you talking about? I'm like, can't you see? As crazy as Alex Jones is, uh, like his track record, I mean, he was obviously wrong. I mean, he got got basically sued out of oblivion on that Sandy Hook deal. But like, I mean, for the most part, like a bunch of stuff he said has come true, which actually scares the shit out of me because Alex Jones is a fucking madman. (laughs) <laughs> I, uh, I, I like was always kind of peripherally. And then he was on that Joe Rogan podcast for like three hours and I was driving and listened to it. And I was like, first of all, this dude's ability to like jump from different conspiracy theories and tie them together. I've never seen anything like it. His fucking comprehension of this stuff is insane. But he, but he's like, does a good job at basically discrediting everyone else that believes in, and that like knows what's really going on. You know what I mean? Because he mixes in. 80% stuff that's real and then 20% nonsense. And now everyone's just like, everything's nonsense. I got this from Greg Glassman. So when I was on Jeff Gonzalez's podcast, he asked me a little bit and I was like, you know, in terms of like somebody who legitimately has changed the world for whatever reason, whether you hate him or you love him, uh, Greg Glassman effectively did it. Uh, he did more to put barbells and strength training and get people into strength training weights and put barbells in people's hands than anybody other human being other than maybe like, you know, uh, who was the uh, original dude, like in the back of the magazines, Arthur Jones, right? With Nautilus, like, you know, like the, the, the deal where like the bully kicks the sand in the face and you got to lift some weights and he gets big. I mean, like CrossFit has done more in terms of like functional fitness, training, barbells, garage gyms, rogue. I mean, whatever you want to say, like that input and his contribution is undeniable, right? Like regardless how you feel about him. So like you think about like changing the world. And I remember Greg made a great point to me once. He's like, uh, he said, I have a, a problem in that I approach everything as bullshit. I think everything's bullshit. And then I have to f- effectively walk everything back to try to prove it to myself, opposed to most of the world that just believes everything and waits to be proved wrong. I go with the exact opposite. Everything's bullshit. And it's kind of like scientific, right? Like if you have a uh, hypothesis, great. I'm going to put it out there. You're going to put it out to the scientific community because they're going to kick holes in it. And we're going to see whether or not it's true, opposed from, well, let's just believe everything. And hope to God that it's right. And if it's wrong, we'll prove it right. I mean, and it made a ton of sense with strength training and everything that if you kind of approached everything, like uh, it kind of sounds like bullshit. And then you do research and you walk everything back. It's a, probably a better way to approach it. And you think about for, you know, just about everything, you know, when you hear something, you're like, oh, I'm not going to buy in on this. And then you kind of do some, you know, forensics, a little bit of research. You talk to some people and then you kind of walk things back and you try to figure out what makes sense. And uh, I think that is how most people should approach it. But unfortunately, most people are just so so willing to fucking die into this stuff and to jump off the, you know, so well, I'll just do whatever they say. 
That's why I made the Great Reset Resistance shirt. Nice. That's perfect. You yeah, you're <laughs> the Great Reset Resistance. Well, you're using the uh, the fist. Um, I, I think there will always be. I mean, so I'll just tell you this. Uh, every great movie has always been about like a certain group of individuals being defiant against the fucking mothership. And it's like, it, it's everything from like Star Trek to fucking Red Dawn. Like it's always about a small group Dune. of people. Dune, same thing. Hunger Games. Hunger, dude. Top Gun. Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible. Rogue Nation. Like uh, uh, all those favorite movies you like with uh, Angel has fallen, bullshit has fallen, oh everything God. has fallen. Anything Gerard Butler's in, he rages against. Which, uh, dude, you posted Den of Thieves. Oh, yeah. Oh, I that, love that's one of her favorites. One of <laughs> Den of Thieves. Uh, well, well, look look at the movie 300, right? Mm-hmm. Small group of 300 Spartans against a, a, an army of millions. You know, I mean, like every fucking story in Hollywood, everything that we've ever you know, read into through history, this, the, uh, you know, the stories of like, oh, well, United, are fucking, are United States of America versus the UK. Yeah. Taste yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, dude, it's always been this way. And yet like, this is what's defined humanity. And yet people are so fucking quick to like, you know, like I'll, I'll tell you this, the, uh, the, I, I remember, um, in college when we were studying like, uh, some of the hot, like I, I, I had a rhetoric class on, um, it was rhetoric of like, or, uh, of, of public speech. And we came in and the teacher turned on a TV and it was actually a, a, one of Hitler's speeches in, in, in German. Nobody spoke German. But like you could see the passion and the fever, like just the fucking uh, the charismatic nature in which he spoke was like, holy shit, dude. And to see how fucking like whipped into frenzy mm. people were. And like all of a sudden you start getting an idea because there's always like this idea of like, how the fuck could somebody pull this thing off? And at least in my mind, I always thought, how could somebody pull this thing off? And when the pandemic hit and this whole thing was going on, I'm like, oh, shit, this is how people could pull this shit off. Because there's this idea of like, well, you know, we have to protect everybody. These are the bad guys. You know, we're doing this for you. I mean, it's the same fucking bullshit. Fear. Fear. Yeah, fear is a big motivator. Why? Like, if you look at the United States history and all the different rights and stuff that have been taken away, it's always over fear. They always are like, oh, the terrorists and we're going to do this. And here's a Patriot Act. The single greatest assault on America and our freedoms was the Patriot Act. We mm-hmm. fucking voted it in. And what's wild is when it came up, people fucking let them do it. And it's allowed them to do like all of this shit. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a reason you can't take a phone out of an iPhone. I mean, a battery out of an iPhone. Mm-hmm. So, no, it's a, it's a scary deal, man. But uh, unfortunately, we have the ability to, and I hate the term red pill people, but like mm-hmm. we have the ability to be able to put a spotlight through, you know, our podcast and strength conditioning and performance through Power Athlete Radio on what's going on. And while uh, I will never say we're right, mm-hmm. uh, I think what it does is it starts a conversation on people to do their own research. And when I say research, I don't mean just watching fucking YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. Call and reach out to experts, read books. You know, I mean, there's some really amazing podcasts uh, on people doing some really just really killer shit. And I think, uh, you know, it's a journey of self-discovery where you as an individual have to decide what your level of involvement is. If you're totally okay, just like being disconnected from your food and the order eats and I don't give a fuck what I want. And this, I mean, you're probably not listening to this podcast and you're probably not following a power athlete training program. But if you're like interested in where your food is and you're, you know, concerned on being able to like, you know, like, I think this stuff became more important to me once I had kids, when I realized I'm not always going to be here and what am I, what legacy am I leaving them? 
And I think like, you know, the idea as a parent of like you raise your kids and you want them to have the same opportunities when you see this shit happening, you think, fuck man, like, like the, the only thing I can do is raise conscientious objectors or people that'll at least question the paradigm that they're being presented. And that's something I talk to my kids all the time about whenever somebody asks, you know, tells you something, I always want you to ask why I want you to like, you know, do a deep dive. I don't need, I'm not going to say approach everything is bullshit, but you have to be a little suspicious of everything you're told, at least for your own sanity and your own sake. The idiot box. I don't believe the idiot box. Uh, it's yeah. my dad. I mean, yeah. dude, uh, my dad called it the idiot box. He's yeah. like, he's like the nonsense coming out of the idiot's box is lying to you. And I, I laugh at this because I don't even think like, I'm, I'm so sad. Like he passed away uh, a couple of years ago before all this went, but I, I don't think that he even understood the impact of social media and this, like even when we did the podcast, he like he he was like so wait a minute this is going to live forever mm-hmm. and I'm like yeah your grandkids are going to be able to listen to this your great grandkids and so I think like that everlasting but um, you know and, and the other problem too is when the bad people come they're going to know where to find us because we're doing we're talking about it on the podcast so. <laughs> and couldn't get us around Austin it's all good got the compound yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we each have our own compound now well, I'm excited to see your place man I'm really excited to go to some of these boutique dinners yeah. did you ever see that movie with Matthew Broderick. Um, with uh, Charlie, uh, Marlon Brando, where they had like the supper club. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. So like the whole deal was that they would take these endangered species and oh. then they would like slaughter them and then have these like super high end dinners. And there was a kimono dragon in it. Do you remember this movie? It was Matthew Broderick. Matthew Broderick, the freshman. The freshman. So he gets a job in like working with like Marlon Brando, who's the, like the godfather. And like the whole thing was like they would have these supper clubs where these people would pay money to eat like endangered species. Mm. And uh, not to say we're doing that, no. but I imagine a high end supper club with really bitching meat where you get to show up and uh, hang out with like minded individuals and have some bitching foods. That's what it is. Yeah. Nose or tail eating. We're, yeah. We eat some weird stuff. Like we'll get some, some hearts some smoked hearts and some like. Dude, I got them. I love hearts. Yeah. Uh, I, I have uh, hearts. I got a bunch of uh, uh, testicles, um, which are actually pretty good. You put them in the crock pot. Mm. Uh, I'm not into eating raw. I mean, like I'll eat raw liver, but I freeze it and I cut it into yep. little cubes. Um, there's an interesting thing with cooking. And actually, Matt Lawn told me this, that when you cook liver, because the iron content is so high, that the heat actually destroys the nutrients. Mm-hmm. Right? It does. So that's why. But uh, in terms of like, uh, you know, like eating raw testicles and all that, I'm, I'm I had a little a couple of weeks ago for the first time some raw testicles. It was okay. It tastes a little bit better when you cook it. Yeah. In a crock pot it. with like a little bit of barbecue sauce or like yeah. a, a chili verde. Yeah. So. Stick to liver heart. I, it didn't taste like much at all. I think I just kind of swallowed it. It was just like this yeah. gummy little thing. And I'm just like, all right. Don't worry, Charles. When we start our cooking show, we'll cook testicles. Yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll pan fry them up. I I got a great recipe for fucking stir fried testicles. Mm-hmm. So, well, dude, thanks for coming on Power Earth Radio, man. It's always great to have you here and uh, connect and and fucking go down the deep dive in terms of what you're doing with food and uh, the exploration and just trying to get the message out. And uh, if people want to get a hold of you or people are more interested and they're digging on this uh, series that's coming up. How do they get a hold of you? Where do they find it? And more importantly, how do they digest it? Oh man, food lies. Yeah, it just search for food lies on any platform. I'm there. Instagram is where I'm at mostly. YouTube, I got I got some content on the Food Lies YouTube channel. We're actually gonna put out the intro to the film, well to the series. It's 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 good. It's people are excited about it. We handmade this intro. It took us a year to make this intro. We, Sweet. We spent three full months filming 
and it, yeah, it's going to be good. So just check out Foodless. Yeah, no, Brian's got a great uh, Instagram page. I actually started following Brian before we ever became friends and was really digging on the fight that, and more importantly, his ability to get in there and just fucking duke it out with these people, <laughs> which, uh, I think it, after a while, you're like, God, I can't fight these people anymore. And he picked it up and starts fucking battling. I love it. So I try to jump in there and help a little bit. But Oh, man. Social media is a crazy place. But yeah. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, thanks for tuning in. Have another uh, episode of Power at the Radio. See you. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. To follow Brian Sanders, you can find him on Instagram at food.lies. And there you can get information on how to contribute to his docuseries, Food Lies. Until next time, uh, bye!